0: Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. The Marriage Protection Act is not to protect biblical marriage or traditional marriage. It's actually to protect gay and lesbian marriage. And let me tell you where this goes. And you think, well, I thought the Supreme Court ruled on this a long time ago. They did, but here's what happened: uh, when the Supreme Court ruled uh, and shot down Roe v. Wade this last June, right? Um, the left went crazy, and they said, and because um, I think it was Clarence Thomas that actually came out and said, look, we got to look at these other things that the court has ruled on to see if they they are illegal and what we and what we did, and that included making gay marriage legal. So when they heard Justice Thomas say that, they went into action. They immediately passed legislation in the House, and then recently, it's just passed in the Senate. Now it awaits for Biden to sign it into law. Now what that means is this, that the Supreme Court could not reverse their decision on gay marriage now, because now it's law, okay? But you say, well, what's the big deal? Nothing has changed. Well, it is a big deal because this, they will use this as legal persecution against the churches. And you say, how so? Well, you, you read the, um, the, um, the legislation and it says, well, uh, this doesn't affect religious entities and nonprofits, the religious nonprofits. That would be a church. Um, but that's not saying the whole story. It says that, but it also implies that if someone tries to receive services from our church, and we deny them service. It's so like, say, for instance, two couples come here, the lesbian or gay, whatever, and they want us to marry them. And we say, no, it's in our laws, our bylaws, constitution, that we can't do that. Aha! They will sue us for discrimination. Okay? Now, here's the thing you have to understand about how this works. Even though it says it on the books that we have the right to, to, to not practice that, It doesn't say they don't have a right to sue us. And here's what the plan is. To allow these entities to sue the churches who refuse services and drain their money in a court battle lasting five to 10 years or something like that. Even though they know that legally they can't do anything, they still want to bring charges against these remnant churches like ours. So here's what The tactic is to have as many frivolous lawsuits against remnant churches to drain them of their money. That's the point. And most churches like us, if we got into a legal suit with somebody and this thing dragged out five years, we can't afford that. It'll kill us. The lawyer fees and all that, we would have to lose um, because we just don't have the money to fight that. That's what the intent is, is, is behind this, and it's to crush, obviously, any dissent from what the government's doing. So this is a major deal. It is, it is, you're seeing now legal the, 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 the precipice of legal persecution that can start happening to churches. And again, don't worry about them affecting Joel Osteen or any other uh, churches like that. That's not who they're going after. They're going after churches like us. And that's who they're going to try to drain of their resources. So it is a big deal. Be praying about that and that the Lord protects us. And, um, you know, I I don't know all the details that are going to come our way, but I'm seeing the setup of this, and it's not good. Anyway, that brings us into what we're studying in Daniel. We're in the, the book of Daniel. And we're neck deep into prophecy. I mean, neck deep. You can't get more thicker than this. And we're drilling down. So I'm going to ask you, just kind of hang with me, as, as, hard, as, as hard as it might be, because it's, it's, it's a lot of information, okay? And I'll, I have to do a lot of connecting dots. Um, so what we're going to basically study is Israel's covenant with the Antichrist. And why do they make this covenant? And the short answer is real simple because I want you to understand the application before we go forward. Israel will do a deal with the devil out of fear and for security. It's those two elements, fear and security. And that's the application we want to take away from all this. This is a lot of prophetic scenarios, okay? a lot of future things. But it applies to us. We just went through a period of time Where fear was pushed on us, and people reacted to that fear by compromising what they knew was probably not right, compromising for security. Okay? And here's the the ironic twist in all this, and I'll give you the hint. When you look for security outside of Jesus, when you look for security from man because you're afraid, That security that you seek from man will one day kill you, will one day be your demise, will one day be your destruction when you seek after security that's not from God. How so? COVID-19, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. You better do what uh, uh, dictator Fauci tells you because he's your only way of salvation, of saving your life. And he will tell you the right way, right? That's what we heard, the narrative. We're all going to die, but Fauci can save you. And if you just obey Fauci and do what the government wants you to do, then you can be set free. So just put an experimental drug into your arm, and you will have security. And guess what? Now all the stats are coming out, And the security that people sought is now killing them. They're dropping dead like flies. Blood clots, all kinds, myocarditis. Young people just dropping like flies. Ah, do you see the lesson, guys? When you seek security because you're afraid in other sources from man, it will end up killing you in the end. That's what you're going to see with Israel. So let's now drill down and try to understand the passage. The context. The context is, is Daniel is realizing the Babylonian exile is about to come to end. It's about two or three years away from Israel being allowed to go back into the land after being disposed for 70 years by Babylon. So that being the case, Daniel starts confessing the sins of Israel, repenting and getting acting as an agent for the nation of Israel in presenting his supplications before God to restore them back into the land. And here's the mistake. Daniel thinks that when they go back into the land that the messianic age, the kingdom age, will start. And that's where Gabriel comes in. The angel Gabriel comes in to correct him and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, time out, time out. Daniel, the messianic age, the kingdom age will not happen until 490 prophetic years come to pass so the angel Gabriel is going to correct Daniel now two weeks ago when we studied this passage we understood where the 490 years come from 77s are determined for your people Israel and for your holy city Jerusalem these are 490 prophetic years that it will take in order to usher in the kingdom And like we saw, several things must happen as we studied. Again, this is just review. To finish the transgression, the transgression of Israel, Israel must stop rejecting Jesus as their Messiah to make an end of sins for the personal sins of Israel and then to make reconciliation for iniquity. The idea is that the atonement of Jesus would be applied to Israel in the future. Those things must occur in order to have kingdom things happen. For instance to bring in everlasting righteousness, that's a, everlasting, that's a righteous kingdom, to seal up vision and prophecy, to end and 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 codify all the prophecies because they'll all be fulfilled at the second coming, and to anoint the most holy, which is the, the, the messianic temple that Jesus will erect during the thousand-year rule of, of him. So all these things might happen, must happen before the kingdom is introduced, and we, we studied that, so that was about two weeks ago. Okay, so now... Daniel is going to give you, or Gabriel, I should say, is going to give you the starting point of when the time starts ticking for not only the Messiah to come, but also the kingdom age. And this is what we're going to study. So hang with me. It's going to be like a wet bar of soap in a shower, but just stay with me and we'll get through it. Okay. Here's where we're at. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there should be seven weeks, 49 years, and 62 weeks, 434 years. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. Okay, so let's understand this. There are, uh, let me show you this chart. Uh, allow me to, to fast forward a little bit because I. I I think the chart I have here, I should have put it up in the front here. Hold on. Oh, oh, there we go. What Daniel is predicting is what, I've, what you can see on this chart in front of you. He predicts that there will be, from the issuing of Cyrus' decree, 49 years to rebuild Jerusalem, 434 years from that point in time until the cross, until Messiah shows up. Messiah is then cut off. And then what we enter into is called the church age. This is, I'll show you the gap, but this is the gap that you see from Daniel. We get this gap in Daniel. I'll show you in just a bit. We're in the gap time, we're in the church age. But as the church age draws uh, to a close, Daniel's last prophetic week, seven years, is still remaining to be fulfilled. Okay? So what's happened is, as you can see, there are three subsets of time in the 490 years there's a 49 year period 434 years and then seven years to remain and that totals up to 490 years okay so in these different periods of time certain things will happen okay and daniel predicts these things that will happen during the church age and he predicts what will start the 70th week of daniel the last remaining seven years okay so as you can see it's charted out um, well, now, let me go back here real quick of what he's trying to say. <clears throat> okay. So he breaks it out. One subset, 49 years. The other subset, 434. And, then he, and so basically, it's going to take about 50 years to rebuild Jerusalem from the Babylonian exile. Okay, we got that. And then from there, 434 years before Messiah shows up. The decree of Cyrus is the decree you have to go by. And, and this might make, make n- no sense to you or whatever, but there's debate on when the decree was issued, whether it was with Cyrus or Artaxerxes. Let's, let me state this for the record. The decree of Artaxerxes is not a decree. And that was when he told Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the walls. Look, Israel was already back in the land Living in Jerusalem, they have they rebuilt most of Jerusalem seventy years before Nehemiah came and started rebuilding the walls. Okay, so the decree you want to focus in on is the decree of Cyrus. Cyrus the Great is predicted by Isaiah 150 years prior to him even existing. That Cyrus will be the one to give the decree that allows Israel back in the land. That's the start. That's the start. Okay, so you say, what's the big deal? Well, if you get your dates wrong and you go by Artaxerxes, you'll end up with the wrong date that, that really becomes a stumbling block for a lot of people. So this is why they'll say Daniel predicted um, that Messiah would come uh, to Israel and they tag it to the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And that's wrong. Because that's going by the date of Artaxerxes, and that, the problem is that date will give you of Artaxerxes will give you 33 BC or 32 BC, and then when you look at the Passover during those years, it couldn't have happened on those years because Passover wasn't on those dates. In order to have the proper chronology, you have to co- coincide with the Passover uh, if you're going to do that. So this is mistaken. Okay. So what is, where, if you go off of Cyrus the Great, then where do you end up with the appearing of Messiah? Well, let me fast forward a little bit through this. Uh, this is what I've already mentioned to you. You end up with this period. The birth of the Messiah. So if you take Cyrus the Great's decree and you count it down, 483 prophetic years, you come up to the birth of the Messiah, not the triumphal entry, okay? This is important because all it says in Daniel is that the Messiah will then appear at that point in time, and why is that important? Because this explains why the wise men show up. Now, let me explain the wise men a little bit. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. So, several things there. Notice why they're coming. They know the king of the Jews is born, but what do they come to do to him? Give him tribute, pay him homage. What does it say they want to do? Worship him. Now, where did they get the concept that he's God? They got it from Daniel. See, the Magi are from the school in Persia that Daniel trained hundreds of years ago. So when Daniel becomes like the second most important guy in not only Babylon, but Persia, he took over the school of the Magi and kicked out Zoroastrianism, that's their religion, and brought in Judaism and brought in the Bible. And he taught the Magi about Messiah. Now, here's the interesting thing. This was hundreds and hundreds of years before Messiah is on the scene. So these Magi have been taught hundreds and hundreds of years. So they appear. The Magi are from Persia, okay? Anyway, they, notice what they're corroborating with. They, they have Daniel's calculations, that from Cyrus the Great, then at at the end of 483 years, Messiah will appear. They're going off that calculation, and notice in the text, Matthew adds one more piece of evidence to affirm that, yes, the king of the Jews has been born. What are they following? A star. Now, let's explain the star a little bit. The star is not a sun in the galaxies, Okay, there's a lot of people out there a lot of times that say, well, you know, uh, Leo was in Virgo, and, and it's like all this astrology stuff and astronomy, and it's like, no, that's not what it's saying. What, what, what does it say there? We have seen his star. Now, in the Greek or in the Hebrew, it, this, this word star doesn't mean like what you see in the sky, It means brightness, a shining. It's his brightness. It's his shining. Second person of the Trinity, right? Messiah is the God-man. What is associated with God? What brightness, what light is associated with God? The Shekinah. Okay? So if you study the, the, the star and how it moves, it's not a star in the sky. It's a star right there in front of them. It, it goes from east to west, west to east. It doesn't move like a star, obviously. It disappears and and reappears. And then, oh, by the way, it appears right over the house, right over the house, on top of the house where Jesus is at at two years old. That can't be a sun. It is the Shekinah glory that's locating Jesus for the wise men. So, where, where did the wise men get the, the, the concept of a star? Well, it came from uh, Balaam in the old testament it said this I see him but not yet now. I behold him, but not near near. A star or a brightness or a shining shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's what we're talking about this this shining one is the king of Israel. Well, again, the shining, the star, is a symbol of of the shekinah glory i see the shekinah and i see that he will rule israel so the messiah is both god and man and the shekinah is associated to them by the way in the second coming that is the sign of the son of man the sign is you will see the son of man in the clouds with great glory that's the shekinah so anytime you see messiah he'll have the shekinah associated to him okay so they're using this as a calculation to figure out when messiah is born right so then what happens no, let, me, let me explain this. We have this up here, and this is totally wrong. So I'm sorry about that for confusing you, but it's just part of Christmas tradition. What do you mean? The night Jesus is born, the wise men see a star, but it takes them two years to get there. Okay, so they know that that year, 483 years, the Messiah has been born. The star, and they start their travels. But they're traveling from the the, the you know Persia. And for them to go up the Fertile Crescent, up by Turkey into Syria, and then down into Israel takes them two years. Okay, This is important. So the night when Jesus was born, uh, just the shepherds were there. That's all that was there. Okay, Wise men, two years later. Now, here's the interesting thing. They're trained by Daniel hundreds of years before, but they do not possess the prophet Micah. So they're missing that information. So when the wise men finally show up two years later, they they go to Herod and they say this to him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and with Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, wait, I went too far. Hold on. Yeah, there we go. Scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Because they, the, the wise men come instantly to Jerusalem the capital, and they're thinking, where's the king? But they don't know Micah has predicted that he's been born in Bethlehem, so it makes sense. But Herod, who's evil and possessed by Satan, wants to kill the child because he's not going to have any rivals, right? So anyway, so they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not among the rulers uh, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. okay? Remember, two years. He gets the information from the wise men and says, hey, man, when did you guys see a star? And they they would have said two years ago, and that's when we started the journey. Ah, two years. Oh, okay. And he goes, well, if you go find him in Bethlehem, let me know, because I want to go worship him too. Yeah, right. Because he's evil. But the two, two years. When Herod finds this out, remember the edict he put out on Bethlehem that every male child under what? Two years old, go kill them. That's where the two years edict comes from is because they heard that the star appeared two years before and that's why he puts the edict out at two years. See, it's all connected. Of course, they take him out of there and, they, and, uh, and take him into Egypt. But nonetheless, that's what's going on here. So this is the appearance of the Messiah, is at his birth, okay? So here's the question. Based on that calculation, Israel should have known when their Messiah was born because the Magi did. How come Israel's leaders were so clueless and the Magi Totally know the day he's going to be born, and they see the shekinah. What the calculation gives you is that Jesus would have been born between six and seven B.C. And you're thinking, "Well, I thought that's the, the Jesus is is uh, 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 born at year zero. That's why we have A.D. and B.C." Ah, yes, but the Gregorian calendar is off by six years, so he's really born in 6 BC. Now, here's the thing. This is not 2022, according to when the Messiah was born. You're six years later. This is 2028. And this next year, 2023, is really 2029. We're off on the calendar, okay? But anyway, this is where you end up at which is exactly what happened in history. And we can corroborate this with when Herod died and was out of Israel. And, and it marks out perfectly that Jesus would have been born at this period of time. Okay, that then tells you, furthermore, when he will die, okay? So, notice what it says here in this passage, in Daniel 9, 26. And after the 62 weeks, Daniel has now introduced a gap. And after 62 weeks, stuff is going to happen in the interim before the seven, last seven years. And this is the introduction of what we call the gap age, or what Jesus will call in Matthew 13, the mystery kingdom. Mystery means it wasn't spoken of in the Old Testament, but then because of the rejection of the Messiah by Israel, Jesus fills in this gap and what this period of time will be. It's called the church age. And that's what, what the gap here in Daniel is introducing. He's not telling you the church age. Jesus fills that in in Matthew 13. Okay. So after 62 weeks, what, what is the first event that will happen in this gap period of time? Well, first of all, Messiah shall be cut off. Cut off is Hebra, uh, Hebraism means he will die. But notice what the tag on is, but not for himself. He won't die because of his sin. He will die for other people's sins. That's the, the, the clue here in what Daniel's trying to say. So based on these calculations, based on the Passovers, based on when he was born, we know exactly what Passover day he died on. And it's April 7th, A.D. 30, which is the 15th of Nisan that year. Okay? And why is A.D. 30 important? Because not only did he die and resurrect, but then there's another time period I'm going to show you that's predicted in here of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D., which gives you a period of 40 years, and 40 is a time of testing. So here's the destruction that's predicted. So Messiah will die, and then this will happen. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood. The, the idea of a flood is a military invasion. So let me ask you this in history, those of you who know your history. In 70 AD, what happened? The Romans went in and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. Why? Because God... God allowed it as a curse for the first century generation Jews of rejecting the Messiah. They committed what's called the unpardonable sin or the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that meant that the the nation was put under physical uh, judgment, not spiritual judgment, but physical judgment with 70 AD. And about, I think Josephus says, a million point two Jews died at this period of time. So this comes 40 years later, and the book of Acts is recording these 40 years, showing you the efforts that are being made to get Israel to repent. And the door finally gets shut by the religious leaders in the stoning of Stephen. Stephen is the last witness to religious leaders. Don't get this confused between all of Israel I'm talking about the religious leaders. You've got to separate the religious leaders out from the regular people. There were a bunch of Jews getting saved and coming to faith in the Messiah and becoming part of the church, but the religious leaders would not accept him. And so, 70 AD comes, and they're destroyed. Okay, but we get a clue here. So this happened in 70 AD. It's Romans, but look, it says, and the people of the prince who is to come Now, it's not talking about the Prince Messiah. He says there's another prince coming, lower P, smaller prince, but he's coming, and this guy is not Jewish. He comes from the people who destroyed the temple. Romans destroys the temple. This prince is the Antichrist in context. Ah, so it's telling you a clue about the origins of the Antichrist. And what is it saying? That his genetic makeup is that he is derived from the same people who destroyed the temple. He is Roman in his genetics. Ah, so the Antichrist does eat spaghetti, apparently. They said he didn't, but it sounds like he does. He's Roman. That doesn't mean he comes. He lives in Italy right now. It means that his descent, he could be living anywhere in the world right now, but his descent comes from Rome. He's a Roman in his genetics. Ah. So that pretty much eliminates all the speculation of people that are out there in uh, YouTube. And look, you got to protect yourself from YouTube. There's all kinds of crazy wackadoo prophecy teachers out there that don't, that, don't know a hill of beans. And they'll say, this guy's the Antichrist. That guy's the Antichrist. Uh, they'll say, the Antichrist is Jewish. He can't be Jewish. He just told you he comes from Rome. He's a Gentile. He can't be Jewish. So when you're trying to pin the tail on the donkey, um, you got to use Scripture. But again, you will not be able to identify him because 2 Thessalonians says you won't until we're taken out of the way. So anyway, a little clue there. Okay, well, here's the interesting thing. Jesus predicted this as as they blasphemed and said he was doing works of Beelzebub. And basically, he then curses the first century religious leaders and says, look, not one stone will be left on another when the judgment comes. There you are. We were in Israel just a couple of weeks ago. There's the stones not left upon another. They're right on the side of the, of the Western Wall, And this is part of the the temple precincts. It's part of the temple. And they threw, the Romans just threw the stuff right outside over the the walls. And there they are today, not one stone left upon another. Exactly as Jesus said. Then he goes, there'll be a third thing that happens during this period of time. until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Till the end of the war? What war? Well, what it's saying is that during this period, this gap period of time, Israel will constantly see war. And then because of these wars, they will be kicked out of the land. That's what the idea of desolations means, that they leave the land desolate and they're kicked out. So what we see here in history is Romans did this to them in 70 A.D. and a lot of the dispersion started happening, started desolating the land. And then by Barcopa's Bar- uh, Bar- rebellion 136 A.D., um, Hadrian kicked the Jews out of the land, renamed the land Palestinia, uh, for their ancient enemies, the Philistines. And uh, they were out of the land and they have been out of the land since 1948, right? That was about a 2,000-year desolation. And you can see uh, the Jewish diaspora here on, the, on the, the map here from 70 AD to 8500 where the Jews went into. Basically, all, most of all the Mediterranean. Now, today half of the jews live here in america the majority uh, the other majority is in israel okay and then there's a few sprinkled out through all the nations a a lot of them used to live in europe but now they're gone because of the anti-semitism they've moved back into jerusalem so we have half of them here in the united states for now because i can tell you anti-semitism will spike up again in the united states anyway wars will be what you see they had Roman war if you go to Masada, you saw the romans attack uh you know you know um the last remaining jews there it was war but when they got back in the land what has it been a time of peace no war they get back in the land 1948 boom they're in a war they get uh, 1967 war yom kippur 1973 war And then constant infatadas from the Palestinians, Hamas, Hezbollah, which are proxies for the Iranian government. Constantly happening in Israel, right? Constantly. Again, as Daniel predicted. And then lastly, the last war with them is the War of Armageddon. And that's where the Antichrist tries to destroy every living Jew on the planet, and he turns on them like a sheep-killing dog. And that is when they're rescued by Messiah at the last of the Battle of Armageddon. Okay, so as Daniel predicted, it is happening. Israel will never be without war until the Messiah gets here. That's how it's going to be. Okay, so there's your chart. There's where we're at. And look at the last thing that's left is the seven-year tribulation. It says one week over there. That's what's left of Daniel's prophecy. So you and I are in the gap called the mystery kingdom. And as you can see, the mystery kingdom, the church age, is coming to an end. Well, How do I know? Because when you see Israel starting to do their things now, back as a nation, starting their Levitical priesthood and all this other stuff, it shows you that God is now ready to start this program very soon, very soon, as we end the church age, which will end in the rapture, which is fantastic for you and me. We will finally be taken out of here and taken home. Now, Let's talk about the covenant, and this is where we're going to have to dig a little bit and drill. Then he, the he here is the Antichrist, the prince that is to come, shall confirm a covenant, and the Greek is gabir, which means to make a strong one, okay? And then in the the Hebrew, it's in the hith, stem. And you're like, what is the big deal? Well, this is a big deal because it's saying that Hithil means it's causative, that the Antichrist is the one causing this covenant to happen. And he's affirming it through his strength. It's not not Israel's strength. They're in a weakened condition, apparently. It's his strength making a brand new covenant. And look what it says, with many. Notice what it says, not all. With many of Israel, but not all. This will include some of the politicians and some of the religious leaders of the Sanhedrin, but not all. For one week, one week is when you get seven years, there you go. There is the kickoff for the seven years. That's the trigger point. When it says then, the Hebrew is indicating that what's, what the sign is for the last seven years remaining is when Antichrist signs the covenant with Israel. It's not the rapture, it's this. And that's what starts the seven years. Okay, so you think, why is this a big deal? Why do, why do you have to keep emphasizing that this is a new, brand new covenant? And and, and why are you going so deep into the Hebrew? Because, it, because there's an error out there right now, and I have to correct it. The Abrahamic Accords is not a precursor for the Antichrist covenant. So a lot of the guys will say, hey, you know... Um, Uh, Jared Kushner under Trump set this Abrahamic Accords up with Israel and these other Muslim countries. And so when it says that the the, the Antichrist will come and make it stronger, they're misusing the Hebrew and says he will make that covenant, the Abrahamic Accords, stronger. And that's, that's what the covenant is. That is so wrong, according to the Hebrew rules, to say that. Uh, the, the covenant the Antichrist makes does not exist right now. It's a new one. It's a brand new one, and he's the one who causes it. He doesn't renew something that already exists. So I don't care, even if, if the Biden administration or whatever administration does some type of deal over there and does another covenant, it is not the Antichrist's covenant. Now, I spoke to Dr. Frutenbaum on an email about this because I know little Hebrew, and I know how to go through it, the rules and, and things of that nature, but I wanted to talk to a Hebrew expert who actually talks fluently, can read it fluently, and I said, Look, what is the, the, what is, am I right on my Hebrew understanding of this? Here's what he said to me in an email. Literally, the phrase simply means to make a strong covenant. And there is nothing in that that word to even imply that it is to renew or strengthen an existing covenant. So he confirmed what I already saw and what the Hebrew is saying. Okay, be careful. All I'm saying is be careful what you see on YouTube. A lot of guys don't have biblical understanding of the original languages, and they make silly statements. And so I just got to warn you about that because that can lead you astray down down the line. But here's the application before we move on any further. Israel is making a covenant with the devil, the Antichrist. Why are they doing this? Okay, It's out of fear. I'll show you what they're afraid of, but it's mainly out of fear. And because of this fear... And not trusting the Lord because perfect love drives out all fear. I have not given you a spirit of fear, right? Of, of power and a sound mind. So fear doesn't come from God. Fear comes from us being afraid of something because we don't have the, the theological background to offset that fear. And so we become afraid, okay? So they do a deal with the devil because they're afraid. And I'm telling you this, this is an application for all of us. If we do not get our theological house in order and we don't understand what's coming and how to think correctly on these things, you and I can react in fear and do something stupid. And that's what you saw with what we just talked about with the vaccine, okay? Because now people are dying over it. Look what's happening. This is, this is our job to be prepared. BlackRock says get ready for a recession. It's the worst we've ever seen it. And, and, and the, what worked to get us out of recession won't work this time. Well, we know the economy. They're crashing it from the green agenda. So let me ask you this. Are you preparing spiritually for this to happen? And how will you react? You should not be like your head in the clouds and all of a sudden, hey, everything crashed. My 401K is gone. They're firing me because they don't have the money now. I what happened? What, you, that shouldn't be you. You should have seen all the signs that, hey, something's gonna go down. I better prepare and I better process this biblically so I don't react in fear. Okay? And let's let's think about this. There's gonna be people who have not been paying attention, it crashes. And they're going to react in fear, and they're going to look for security. And where where do you think they're going to look for security from? The government. And they're going to say, wow, I don't have any money. I lost my job. I can't buy anything. I wonder if mama government will take care of me. Oh, I heard that on 34th Street, um, they're giving out blocks of cheese. I'm going to go down there and get my cheese. Oh, they're giving bread over here uh, at, this, at, at this dispensary. I'm going to go get my bread. And all of a sudden, the person becomes beholden to the government and becomes dependent on the government. That can't be you. Because that's a, that's a, th- a mark of enslaving yourself to the government because you're afraid And you don't know how to provide, and so you need the government now. You do not want to get in that situation where you're dependent on the government. You have to then think through this biblically. And that's why we talk about these things, to prepare you to understand the signs of the times. Man, this is going down. What else else do we need to be aware of? Well, here's another thing. The digital currency. The Fed moves towards monetary, monetary totalitarianism. Right now... As I mentioned last week in, in Kentucky, they are war gaming for 12 weeks introducing a digital currency to America. There will be a central bank digital currency that's, that the Federal Reserve is involved in. All your cash, all your change will go. And they're doing a 12-week 12, uh, 12, uh, 12 trial with the major banks in New York right now. And if it flies through, then they're going to institute it sometime in 2023 or 2024. So what, what, what are you to do as a believer if they go cashless, if they go to a digital currency? Have you thought through those? How are you to process that biblically? You do not want to wait for it to happen and say, what do I do? What do I do? And in panic mode, I better do something to protect my family and myself. That's when you'll make a wrong decision. That's what's happening to Israel. Okay, look at this, your your, your digital identity will be attached to the currency. You're gonna find yourself in a digital prison. The digital identity has been described by the World Economic Forum as a new chapter in social contract. Your digital identity ties in with the coming social credit system and and will control what you can and cannot do in everyday life. So for instance, if they have a digital currency, and they're already doing this with credit card companies now. The credit card companies are shutting down on people buying ammo and guns. So you try to swipe your visa, try to swipe your Mastercard. Again, I'm not saying it's here, but I've heard about other parts of the United States where their cards are not working anymore. It, the cards will not let them purchase guns and ammo. Well, if they, they don't ever have to get rid of our Second Amendment. if They go to a digital currency. They just say, oh, that digital currency, we don't allow anyone to buy weapons and ammo with the, the digital currency nor do we allow you to buy X amount of gas either. See, all it has to do is just turn switch and you're not being able to buy anything unless they want you to buy it. That's what's coming, guys. Have you thought about it? Have you thought how you're gonna react? Are you gonna wait till it happens and then panic? Here's your digital identity. I didn't create this, they did. Look what's attached to your digital identity. Healthcare financial services, food and sustainability, travel and mobility, humanitarian response, access to services, basically, e-commerce, social platforms, e-government, and telecommunications, all on your digital identity. That is called being in jail without walls. How are you going to react? Now, again, I always say this. We could be raptured right now and never have to see any of this. But what if the rapture is closer to the tribulation? Did I mean? That means you have to start preparing. And you can't be afraid. You can't. You have to know what's going on, know the truth, and what God says. God supplies your security, God supplies your provision. He's the one who'll take care of you. You don't have to freak out. You shouldn't lose any sleep. If you have faith in Him, look, you lose it all, He'll still provide for you. Foxes have holes and the birds of air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If he can provide for his own son, I think he can provide for you and me. What about this stuff? American Girl, they used to be the little dolls that you could buy. going now transgender. So when you buy these American dolls that you can... Make them a transgender, or boy, girl, whatever you want, and then they come with this wonderful booklet that every kid, every little girl gets when they buy this doll, and it tells them about their body image. That if they want to be a boy, they can be a boy. If they want to be this, they can be that. And there's there's uh, uh, things in the book that talk about gender joy, that talk about transitioning to being something other than what you really are, as God created you, or having it having a conversation with your doctor. Yes. That's in the booklet for little girls to read so that they can give the mindset, well, I can go to my doctor and, and have parts cut off of me and become a boy and have a total mastectomy or whatever, and hormone blockers, and I can just talk to my doctor and they will gladly do it for me. It's in the book. It's in the book, telling little girls. Are we going to wait and let this continue to happen and just say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's gone to Hades in the handbags. Or are we going to push back on this? I don't know. I don't see a lot of pushback. I'm speaking to the choir, but around the world, I don't see this. I don't see any pushback. Even in the Bible Belt, like I told you, I was in Kentucky. We had a transgender service. Don't think the Bible Belt's safe. They're not pushing back on that. How about this? You want to know about what's going on in the schools? And I keep telling you guys, they're indoctrinating you. They're indoctrinating your kids. And people say, Brandon, that's a conspiracy theory. We don't have teachers that want to indoctrinate. How about this old boy? He just told you what he's doing. Trans elementary school teacher admits he, it shouldn't be she, it's he, enjoys confusing kids about gender identity. What he's saying is, I love to mess with your kids' minds. I love to make them confused. When you see them admit it, it's not a conspiracy anymore. They're doing it to your kids. How about this, in the church? How long has a church stood back, a wall, and let this happen. Yeah. A dude singing a song in a church as a drag queen. I can't hardly watch that. So here's Here's somebody fighting back, and I want you to see this as an example. Here's somebody, he's on the board, and I think this is in Pastor Robles. He's on the school board, and um, he's pushing back because he's, he's against all this transgender stuff and transitioning and all this junk that they're doing to little kids in elementary school, right? And he's, he's saying, as a board member, we're stopping this, we're not gonna happen. And God bless him, but look what happens. 800 residents over there rose up against him, called for a petition for, for a half a million dollars to get him out of there and fire him, and they did. Now, here's my question. Where are the Christians supporting him? Why did all of a sudden 800 residents that are pro-transgender, pro-transvestite, raise up and get him fired? When we, we try to raise up against our boards, we can't get anyone fired. Because we don't have the people standing up anymore. It's too late. Their heads are in the sand. They're not paying attention. And when the coming tsunami comes, they're like, what happened? What happened? I didn't even know this was happening. Transgender, where'd that come from? Hey, dude, where have you been? Where are the Christians standing up? They're not there. They're AWOL. Because Christians are not doing what they're supposed to do right now. They're checked out. They're just checked out. And when you're checked out, when something bad happens to you, you'll freak out. And when you freak out, you will make bad decisions. That's the point. Look what God says. Your covenant with death will be annulled. That's what, how God sees the covenant with the Antichrist. It's a covenant of death. And your agreement with Sheol will not stand. So he's telling Israel... You sought the Antichrist for security. I'm going to tell you right now, he will not abide by his covenant, and he will turn on you like a sheep-killing dog at the three-and-a-half-year mark and try to kill every one of you. That's what he's saying here in Isaiah. And then look what he says. This is interesting. Here's the irony. When the overflowing scourge passes through, the overflowing scourge is an invasion. But who is the invasion from? Then you will be trampled down by it. So they will be trampled down by a military invasion. And if we connect it to Daniel chapter eleven, and we connect it to uh, Zechariah twelve, Zechariah fourteen, and Zechariah thirteen, and other passages, we know that the invasion is coming from the Antichrist. Now wait a second. That's that's odd. It's ironic. Do you understand what God's saying here? You made a covenant of death with the Antichrist to protect yourself from him invading you. That's why you did a deal with it. You are afraid of the Antichrist, so you did a deal with him so that he would not have the overflowing scourge come to your country. But I'm telling you, your covenant with him will be annulled, and it actually will come to you. You will be invaded by him, and he will kill two-thirds of you. How ironic is that? And that's the principle, guys. If you settle for security from man, like Fauci, that security will end up killing you. Only God gives the security. Only Messiah gives that security that promises he will protect you. But you go outside of that protection, the very security you get will end up killing you as an ironic judgment, which is right there in front of you in Isaiah 28. Wow. Wow. Being judged by the very thing you sought security in. What else happens? Whoa, what happened to my thing? Where'd i go he just started gremlin in there what happened okay look what else happens but in the middle of the week he shall bring it in to sacrifice and offering so the the, the 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 jews will rebuild their temple and c- continue to do their sacrifices and reestablish their sacrifices and 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 then he shuts it down this is what they're doing today in israel the levitical priests are being trained right now to, to do the sacrifices this is them practicing Right now, in our day and lifetime, no one's ever seen this before in 2,000 years and, and, until, until they came back and started doing this in like the last 10, 15 years. This stopped in 70 AD, but look at them. Does that tell you that we're, into the, we're getting close to the time period? It's amazing. And then it says, on the wing of the abomination shall be one who makes desolate. The wing is the pinnacle of the temple. The pinnacle of the temple, I put a black dot on that. So what happens is he creates the abomination of desolation. What is the abomination of desolation? It's twofold. It's an idol of himself, and he will put it on the pinnacle of the temple, on the very top of the temple. By the way, where did Satan take Jesus in one of the temptations? To the top of the pinnacle of the temple, the rooftop right there, and said, throw yourself down. And according to Psalm 91, his angels will carry you up. Remember that? Why did he take him to the pinnacle of the temple? Do you know why? Because in Jewish tradition, they hold that when Messiah appears, he will appear on the top of the Jewish temple. And where does Antichrist put his image? The top of the Jewish temple. Isn't that that amazing? So he then, that, then, then will, he will scatter them, okay? Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the following way comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or, and, and, or that is worship, so that he sits. Where can you sit in a temple? Because as far as I understand, there's no place to sit except one place. He sits on the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant will be brought out again, and will be used in the temple services, and Antichrist goes in there as part of the second phase of abomination and actually sits down on the Ark of the Covenant, which is God's throne. Blasphemy, sacrilege, right? And sits there and proclaims himself to be God. That's the twofold abomination. And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, this image at the top of the pinnacle. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. What's that? An idol of the Antichrist on the top of the pinnacle that has the ability to kill you if you don't worship it. What could that be? Is that something technologically that through AI, if you don't bow a knee, then the digital thing inside your body does a kill switch and kills you? Maybe. That's what the system's getting set up for right now. To be under your skin, in your hand or your forehead. And then maybe they have a kill switch that, okay, you don't worship the Antichrist, boom, you're dead. They just turn the switch off. It's possible with now the technology that we have. Crazy, huh? Let me get through here. Even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So this will continue to happen. Uh, The consummation is referring to the second coming, which is determined, Okay, so this is a period of time that is determined is poured out on the desolate. And so the last desolation will happen at the hands of the Antichrist as he desolates Israel, kicks them out of the land, and then obviously when Messiah comes back, he has to have his angels gather the elect from the four corners of the earth and be brought back to Jerusalem. So this is what has been determined. Now here's the thing. What you see in front of you is this Rav Shlomo uh, Yehuda Berry, And unfortunately, as you can see, the scripture's predicting that Israel will make a deal with the devil, and we know why now. But I can tell you this, if you go to Israel today, the mindset is already there for them to do something like this. Okay? They want security, they want peace at all costs, and they're willing to do it at any, at, 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 at any way they can get it. Okay, that's the bad mindset. And the mindset now is that they're willing to accept people like this guy as their Messiah. I'm not saying he's the, the Antichrist because he's Jewish, so he can't be the Antichrist, but he's little Antichrist. Many Antichrists will come, right? And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the fervor that they have over this guy. They claim he's done five miracles. They claim he, Some of them have claiming that he's the Messiah for Israel, And it's starting to catch all over the Hasidic and Orthodox areas of the religious Israel. I can tell you this, it's these rabbis like this that are causing Israel's deception of not seeing Jesus as their Messiah. But when you study a passage like this, here's what you got to ask, is Israel in a position that they would accept the Antichrist? I think after this video of saying this guy's the Messiah, I think they're set up for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. חוזרות והכל נעלם, הוא נלך על הזוז, הוא לא הולך עקום, הוא הולך עם גב כפוף. הוא נלך על, אני זוכר, הוא צועק, הוא היה הולך וצועק, כל פסיעה נעלם הכל, ברוך השם, ונס, אין לזה שום מסביר. אני אומר לו, זה נס, נס שלא קיים בעולם. נס, ש... זה מופת מעל הטבע, דבר של שילוד מערכות התבה, שבדיוק מה שהרב אמר. זה סיפור שהוא יוצא דוחה, זה סיפור בלתי נכפש. היה לו, מילה אחרת, על זה. עמודתי הרבה בקשר שוב, אומר לי, עכשיו, עכשיו, עכשיו... לא יש שום כאב לי, לא ניתור, לא ציים שום דבר. לא רופאים, שום דבר, הכל יעבור. קמתי מהכסה ותחלתי לרקוד. כאילו, לא ממש לרקוד, לקפוץ כזה ולהראות, תלילי, זה לא כהר. אתה לא מרגיש כאבים עכשיו, לא מרגיש כלום? לא מרגיש אפילו זכר לשום דבר. ולא לא לא כלום זה סיפורים Are they set up? Unfortunately, they are. So pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for their salvation. Because as you can see, their rabbis are leading them down the path to the Antichrist. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn through the prophet Daniel. Father, in our own applications, as we see what Israel does, we can see it in our own lives and what's going on now. People are reacting with fear to what's going on around them and making bad decisions. Father, help us to prepare spiritually for what things we must endure. Help us to understand things and process things from your truth and deal with things with your truth. Not in emotions, but as you would lead us, as you would guide us in these troublesome waters. Father, help us to cling to you and know your word better than ever. And Father, I just pray if there's anyone here that hasn't come to faith in the Messiah, that we do so today to realize the one true Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, died on a cross for everyone's sin, was buried and rose on the third day and offers everlasting life to simply anyone who will believe. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.